Nah, that wasn't God's idea. That was just your own. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, welcome in. Welcome into the last month of the year. Not only the last month of the year, but the last month of the decade. Wow, we get to start a brand new decade here in a couple weeks. How exciting is that? We're going to talk about ideas to make that a great one. Uh, Got some stories to share with you. Got a business idea that I'll bet you've never heard of before. Pretty much guaranteed you've never heard of before. I love to share those new ideas. We got questions coming in. I've got a a real-life example about uh, kind of a sad story about thinking God blessed you. Eh, be careful with that kind of terminology. Well, here's some questions we're going to be answering today. Dan, I'm at an impasse as I do not know where to take my skills. Somebody says, help, I'm at the end of my rope. I've had no problems getting interviews for jobs, and the interviews seem to go great, but I'm not getting any job offers. Hey, we can solve that. We'll dig into that. Dan, I want to strike it out on my own, but I have this fear of not getting any business that's holding me back. And how about this? This is a great, great setup for going into the end of the year. I'm afraid if I set a high goal, I'll reach it, but with a high cost to my family. So we're going to talk about hitting high goals, but not with an unreasonable cost. Got to do have clear goals, good goals, but have those goals allow you to reach success in multiple areas of your life. Well, here's a quotation. This comes from another one from James Clear in Atomic Habits. Be more concerned with your trajectory than with your current position. I like that. Makes a lot of sense. You know, look at the look at the direction you're going in. Be encouraged by that more than concern with where you are currently. Well, our resource today, I'm gonna to link you to Nightingale Conant, Author Insights. It's a it's a audio program, and there's a, a bunch of authors in there, and they all share. Now I'm in this lineup. It was a real honor for me to be included into this lineup where they did a 50-year anniversary selecting 25 of their best-selling authors over all time and having them share what is one principle that really kind of was the tipping point for you in putting you on the trajectory of success that you're experiencing. So I got to share in there. Mine is in there. We'll link you to this in the show notes. It's author insights from Nightingale Conant. I'll put a real clean link in there so you can find it easily. But you'll hear from people like Bob Proctor, Joe Polish, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Dennis Waitley, David Bach, Vic Conant, and and a bunch of others in there. There were about 25 of us, I guess, that was in there. But uh, I, I something I go back to again and again and again. I've got it on a CD that I have in my car, so I can just pop in it when I'm going from one place to another because most of the, the tips in there are only four or five minutes long. So you can hear mine and a lot of others, but just really inspiring things. Hearing from people, share what was the one thing that was a tipping point. Now, you can listen to that, and you're likely to hear something where you say, wow, I could do that. 
You know, I, I could use that same principle to launch me forward my success. Well, we got some good news stories here. After learning Denny's waitress walked 14 miles for work every day, a couple buys her a new car just a few hours later. So Adriana Edwards used to have to walk four and a half hours to get to work every day. Now she was working at a Denny's restaurant in Galveston, Texas, and she was scrimping and saving, trying to hope for the day when she would be able to get herself a car and not have to make that long walk. Well, an anonymous couple who Edwards had been serving at a restaurant earlier in this week was spurred to buy a car for their hardworking waitress after they learned about her grueling commute. You know, it reminds me of that, I think it's a State Farm a commercial where the guy's sitting there at the counter with his little boy and he overhears the waitress talking about, gee, she just, you know, wrecked her car. She, you know, had to go to the dentist. I don't know those things. And he just overheard the conversation and they left a hundred dollar tip and walked out and the little boy says, dad, you didn't get your change. He says, yeah, that's, that's okay. Little boy says, well, I don't understand. And the daddy says, well, you will someday. Well, those are great kind of stories. And this is one where this couple actually bought this gal. They went out and returned a couple hours later, had a 2011 Nissan Sentra, handed her the keys and said, Merry Christmas. The only condition was that she pay the good deed forward. Well, now that she's freed from having to buy a car, Edwards says she'll be able to put herself through college much sooner than she expected. And she is planning on using her good fortune to help others. I still feel like I'm dreaming. Every two hours, I come and look out my window to see if there's really still a car there. She said, when I see somebody in need, I'll probably be more likely to help them out and do everything that I can to help them. Well, that's the way that it works. We get good fortune. We get somebody that's gracious to us, helps us, and we have a high likelihood to pay it forward for sure. Hope you see those kind of opportunities here during the holidays. Well, here's a a, a fun story. Years after accidental holiday text, a man still gets together with a grandma who mistakenly invited him to Thanksgiving dinner. So this happened back in 2016. So, you know, four, well, well, three years ago. This gal texted her grandson, inviting him to Thanksgiving dinner. But somehow she accidentally texted somebody else or it went to somebody else. And we were hearing those stories right now where somebody's saying, wow, I texted my iPhone, sent it to somebody else. Not sure what happened. Anyway, Wanda Dench sent this text. Jamel Hinton got the text and he says, sure, I'll come. Well, when they realized it was a mistake, when she realized it was a mistake, she said, well, that's okay. Come on anyway. That's what grandmas do. We feed everybody. So he's continued that. He has now been to every single one of Dench's Thanksgiving dinners since the mix-up. Not only that, they make sure to regularly text each other, maintain contact throughout the year. In addition to meeting for dinner every few months, the two recently also went pumpkin picking with Dench's husband and Hinton's girlfriend. We're both really passionate and love talking about our story and how many people have reached out to us and told us how it affects them, Hinton said. I love it when people tell me it restores their faith in humanity, which I get a lot. Well, again, just a a great story, an accident that turned into be a a great friendship because they just followed through with it. Now, this is the business idea that I am quite confident 
you've never heard of. I certainly had not, but I love it when these ideas are pointed out, things that are right in front of our face, this one literally, and there's a business opportunity there. This is a guy, this is a kid who cleans the IMAX screens. Now, I would have never thought about the fact that they need to be cleaned, but when you think about the environment they're in, yeah, it's pretty easy to understand. They need to be cleaned once in a while. So, imagine this, an empty IMAX theater, it's quiet, dark, palatial, almost cathedral-like, and in walks this young guy, He's there to clean the eight-story tall, $250,000 screen of dust, gummy bears, spit wads. Well, it may seem like a simple task, but it's really not. The, the material for the screen is very, very delicate, very unusual kind of thing. It takes a real sophisticated process to clean it, but this kid gets paid as much as $5,000 per screen. Now, it may take him eight hours that's still pretty good compensation for eight hours of work. So he developed this process for cleaning these screens. You know, I mean, who else is going to do that? It's not something that a lot of people do. So he spends his time doing that. And he, the first one he ever did, he was paid $4,000 for it and realized the niche opportunity that he had. So he operates out of, uh, out of Texas, and he cleans, now his business cleans about 4,000 screens around the world every year. He doesn't know of anybody else doing it. Talk about a niche opportunity. And he makes over a million dollars doing that. Cleaning IMAX screens, the big screens. Now they do a lot of regular screens as well, but the real money is in those IMAX screens. But you know what happens too in the story here, it tells a little bit about you know, you want to keep those things clean. It's a delicate. Well, you know how they've discovered the easiest way is to clean the theater. Now think about it. You've got a whole bunch of people in there. You got 300 people in there. They walk out and you need to clean it real fast before it turns for another. They use leaf blowers to blow the bags, the gunk, the popcorn and everything down to the front. Well, think what that does in raising the dust it's totally contradictory to keeping the, the screen clean, but they do that. They use leaf blowers. Anyway, hey, uh, just a great idea. You know, if, if you have a, well, I've shared recently some ideas on here, really unusual ideas that people have turned into great business opportunities. That's just one more. Shoot them to me. If you got ideas like that, I'd love to hear about it. Just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Now, this is that one I want to, you know, I started off saying, man, that wasn't God's idea, just your own. Well, this is to me a sad situation. Now, it's got some real positives in it, but let me kind of unpack it. We we visited this weekend, Joanna and I did with a bright young couple. I mean, we'll, I'll call them Tom and Susan, just for the sake of this. But well, let's say, Tom just graduated with a professional degree after 10 long years of study. It took him about seven years part-time to get through undergraduate, then three years professional school. He's now finished. Unfortunately, he has $120,000 in student loan debt. But it was interesting to hear this young couple talk about it because they're really pretty cavalier about it. They, they aren't concerned about that. He's a professional. He's going to make a lot of money. Well, to celebrate, Susan quit her job. 
So she quit her job. He's brand new in our industry. Then they decided, well, they need a new car. So they went out and bought a brand new luxury SUV, borrowing, again, more money than Tom will make in a year. All right. So are you with me on this? So, and, and to top it off, they're living with Susan's parents. And now because they've got some pretty major obligations, they're not sure they're even going to be able to move out on their own, even though he's got this professional position at this point. So, you know, they're going to have about a thousand dollars due monthly on student loan debt. That is if now he told me that he had negotiated it down to about $300, but you know what that means? Do the math on that. That means that he's got about 30 years to pay that off. If he really brought it down to even 15 years, it's going to be about a thousand dollars a month. No, he's already anticipating having it for essentially the rest of his life. Well, the car payment is going to be another thousand dollars. So, you know, they're now at $200,000 in debt and about a $2,000 a month obligation for the next 15 years. But here's where it gets pretty interesting. This is where this questionable theology creeps in. It's not just a matter of stretching financially. Rather, they see it as a reward from God. Well, we worked so hard for all those years. We deserve some nice things now. God provided this nice car for us. Really? I don't think so. I mean, I know you can you can go there, you know, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But if the desires of your heart come with a seven-year financing on an $80,000 vehicle, eh, I don't think so. I don't think that's God's provision. I think that's your own um, bad decisions. Now, here's one more thing, and I'm going to move on from this. I just want to prompt your thinking. This guy had the GI Bill. The GI Bill paid for his college tuition and paid him $1,200 a month. Why does he have $120,000 in student loan debt? That wasn't used for college. That wasn't used for tuition. That was used because it was so readily available and so tempting. Oh, wow, we'd like to go on a vacation. Wow, the in-laws need a new air conditioner. Wow, Susan had unexpected uh, gallbladder removal. They used student loan money for all kinds of living expenses, not even for college. Oh, my, my heart broke hearing the story. Well, uh, I hope to be able to give you an update in a couple years that they magically took care of all this. But wow, what a way to dig yourself a big hole. I don't care what the degree is at the end of the end of the, your name. And I won't even share here whether it was an MD, a JD or a DDS or whatever. It was, you know, something comparable to that, but not going to give him that kind of earning power. Well, tough, tough way to start and some bad, bad decisions to get you there. Well, this comes from Jill. Let's go on to some better answers that we can come up with here. Jill says, I need help getting my product to market. I've been following you for a few years, but I've just become serious about getting involved. I'm a retired school teacher working part-time, and I have a really good product. My problem is knowing how to get it out there successfully, including finishing my business plan and raising money to complete production. The product is a 14-inch doll with an excellent idea behind it that could get very popular very quickly. 
I'm more of a creative and could use some help with the numbers and other technical aspects of the business. Well, Jill, I commend you in, in understanding where your unique skill is and what you're likely to need help with. When you start a new business like this, don't try to talk yourself into doing everything. You'll be mediocre at a whole lot of things. Understand what it is you do really well and get help on those other areas. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to bring on people as employees. You can get people to do projects. If you need a website, well, you can get a website done for 350 bucks. You know, don't get some big complicated thing there. Now, you say that you need money to raise money to complete production. One of the creative ways that people do this over and over again is to use Kickstarter or Indiegogo. It's a real legitimate way. Recently, you know, a couple of friends of mine uh, started the Enya game, a game based on the Enneagram. Well, they put it up on Kickstarter and they raised, I think they raised like 40 or $50,000 on there with people excited about getting the game. Then they took the money to use for the actual production. So now they produced the game, sent those out. So it's a legitimate way to do that. However, with what you're describing here, you kind of touch on multiple business areas that are challenging for you. I'd encourage you to get a coach, get a business coach. It could be for 60 days. So again, it doesn't have to be a long ongoing kind of thing, but get somebody to come in and really help you look at how to put this together in a way that makes sense for you. Now, when you get a coach, I mean, we hear that a lot. I mean, everybody's a coach these days. I realize that. We train coaches. I am a coach, but I also know there's no barrier to entry and there's a whole lot of people, you know, that are calling themselves coaches. So ask some questions. Does this coach have the right experience? Ask about their background. Ask about other small businesses they've worked with. Does this coach get the right results? Ask to see the results. Ask to talk to some of the people this coach has worked with. Those are legitimate things. You know, this done, you know, the, the co- a coach is not the wizard behind, you know, the curtain that you can't see anything they're doing. No, ask them. Get a sense of who they are, what they're all about, what they've done. And then does this coach have the right format? Now, I have, I am coached in a couple different ways, both individually and then also in a group setting. I like the group setting for a lot of reasons. So every quarter I go to Chicago for an entire day, spend a day with a few other people. But in there, we're, we're getting content. You know, that's really process driven. So with what you're describing here, that could be a good fit to be in a group coach setting where you also get feedback, encouragement, accountability from the other people in there. That can be that can work really well. So it may not even be that you have to get individual coaching since you have a product you want to develop. There's probably a coaching program where you can participate at a very reasonable cost in that and get that. And also it's legitimate to ask somebody you're talking to as a potential coach, who is your coach? Who's coaching you? Yeah, that's a legitimate. I I would hesitate to ever engage with somebody as a coach if they were not being coached. Of course, people can ask me that as well at any given time. I am never without somebody coaching me. Well, this comes from Stephen, who says, I have found by a great friend your book and enjoyed reading and learning what I could from it. However, I'm now at an impasse as I do not know where to take my skills. 
Now listen to this. If you're listening to this, there's a, there's a real challenge with how this is laid out. How Stephen lays this out. My main goal or passion is to work with a group of people to find a solution to a problem and implement strategies to help an organization go further. The problem is I don't know where to start, what ideas I could use I could could to use my passions. If there is anything you can do to help me get in the right direction, that would be fabulous. Thank you for your time. Look forward to hearing a response from you. The challenge here, Stephen, is that you're way too general. If you tell an organization that your goal is to work with a group of people to find a solution to a problem and implement strategies to help an organization go further, you also have just defined the same skills as everybody who breathes on the face of the earth. There's nothing to make it unique about what you do. You're going to have to dig in and find is what is it that you do that is specific? Describe something you've done in working on a project. That is an example. Talk about where you found a solution to something. You know, but you you got to dig in and be much more specific in what value you bring than just that general term. It reminds me of the objective that's on most resumes. Yeah, I want to work with a forward-thinking company and help the company achieve their goals as I achieve my own. Whatever. I mean, those things are so generic, it's a waste of time and space in a paper. Say specifically what it is that you do. I worked with XYZ Company. And I increased revenue 30% in 18 months by contacting people directly rather than sending out emails. I don't know. I mean, just be that specific on what it is that you do, and you'll find that there's going to be opportunities all around you. All right, this comes. This is actually another Steve says, help, I'm at the end of my rope. I have had no problems getting interviews for jobs, and the interviews seem to go great. I follow all the interview tips. I remember to thank them. I follow up with a thank you card, et cetera. The interviewer seems to be really excited about me working there, but then suddenly everything comes to a crashing halt and I don't get the job offer. My last employer was less than honest with me and I have a feeling he may be giving bad reports on me, which he said he would do. He said even legally, all he could do was say if he would hire me back at a future date or not. And he would say he would he would say I was rehirable. I've had numerous interviews that they seemed excited. And then all of a sudden it flops. All right, let's back into this, Steve. So I'm going to start with the, the, the end of that. You suspect your previous employer is giving bad reports about you. I would say the chances are 99% that that is not true. An employer would be stupid to do that for the reasons you already kind of alluded to. They can't do that. It's illegal to do. I mean, they're going to get in trouble if they do that. Employers aren't going to do that. They're going to put themselves in jeopardy like that. They're just simply going to verify the dates that you work there. And often it's, it's really common if somebody did get fired for good reason. And they ask that employer, you know, would you hire this person again? They, that they are probably going to say, rather than saying, ah, not a chance would I handle hire that scoundrel again. Now they're probably going to say, well, if he was a good candidate for the right position, I would certainly consider them. That's what they're likely to say. But for to think that somebody, a former boss is giving you bad reports. Nah, Get that out of your mind. That's not where the challenge is. Absolutely assured of that. You're having interviews 
and then out getting job offers. For one thing, very, very few people check the references that you give or check previous employment. I mean, people are so hungry these days for people to bring on their team. They don't even take time to do that. And often if it's done at all, it's after the person is hired and they're brought on. It's after the fact. I am used as a reference on lots of people's resumes. I don't get two calls a year from people checking on those. It just, it happens very rarely. Here's the deal. We can go through the process here and know exactly where the problem is. It's just a series of events, okay? If you are sending out resumes and never get an interview, we know where the problem is. We need to look at your resume. If you're sending out resumes and getting interviews, all right, cool. We know it's working, so we don't need to do anything in the resume. If you're sending out resumes, getting interviews, and no job offers, whoa, we know where to look. It's not to get more interviews. It's to say, what am I doing in the interview that makes these people not want to have me on their team? That's what you need to ask yourself. And so be brutal about that. There's something that's happening. In the, are you talking too much? Are you, you know, sharing too much after the critical part of the interview is over? Are you not smiling? Do you lack energy? Did you forget to comb your hair that morning? You know, are you wearing cut off jeans in a professional environment? What, go through that. I mean, people can have a good interview with you and have you have the feeling that things are really going well when they're saying to themselves, yeah, nice guy, but there's no way. No way that person is going to fit in here. So you need to zero in on the interview process itself. Do mock interviews. Get some friends to interview with you. You know, do a three-minute interview. I mean, interviews don't need to last that long anyway, but do do a three-minute practice with four of your friends and have them give you feedback. Would they hire you? Why or why not? That's where you need to go. The U of I, I commend you on identifying exactly where the problem is. Now you can fo- hone in on that. I had a gentleman one time who had worked for a company for a very long time. He had a very prestigious position, and then he was let go. No fault of his own, a good candidate, just happens. You know how that goes. Well, he had gone 14 months and never got a job offer. And he was like, how is this possible? My credentials are impeccable, great job history, great references. Why am I? I met with him. He and his wife drove over from Knoxville to meet with me, sat down in my office. We started talking. We were about four minutes in. I said, I know why you aren't getting any job offers. He's like, what do you mean? I said, every time I start to say something, you raise your voice and take over the conversation. I said, I'm confident you do the same thing when you're meeting with an HR director or somebody in a hiring position. They're likely to be half your age. You take control and they're saying, hey, this guy's competent. There's no way in the world I would want him on on my team. And his wife is sitting there nodding her head. "Uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." Uh-huh. He was dumbfounded. He's like, why hasn't anybody told me that? And I said, because you come across as very professional, very powerful, very competent. Nobody's going to tell you that. Well, that's why you needed a coach. And we, and, and unfortunately, he was, he was pretty wounded by that. He was very teachable. And he was able to change that instantly. You can do the same thing. If you figure out what is it in your direct interviewing that is sabotaging you, you can change it and open the door to success instantly. I mean, with, with unemployment like it is, I mean, we're essentially at, at what we call full employment. 
it's just, it's so low, it's almost unmeasurable. Everybody is hiring these days. So if you're getting interviews and not job offers, boy, there's something critical that's really sabotaging your success. Robert says, hi, Dan, absolutely love the work you're doing. Very inspirational. My dilemma is that I can't seem to get myself to take the next big step. I'm 34 years old, live, and I've been a professional landscaper for 20 years, and I've been renovating houses for around five years. I want to strike out on my own, but I have this fear of not getting any business that's holding me back. I'm currently working a miserable job. However, it's paying the bills, but I dread driving into the parking lot. Any suggestions would greatly be appreciated. Wishing you and the family a spectacular holiday. Also love the work your son Kevin is doing on the Ziegler podcast. Hey, I got a I got a Christmas story I want to tell you about Kevin here in a second. But let me address your question, Robert. And that is, you've been doing landscape work for 20 years, been renovating houses for five years. And then you say you have a miserable job that's paying the bills. Wow. This is such a wide I mean, it's just so so obvious, the two ends of the spectrum here that you lay out. A job that pays the bills implies that you're being paid hourly. If you renovate a house, my gosh, you have the potential to get a big pay, payback all at once. If you really have the ability to do that. Now, here's, here's the cool thing about this. You can continue your miserable job for 90 days. Let's just say that. 90 days. We could even say the first quarter of 2020. But in that period of time, do a house renovation on your own. You've got plenty of experience to let you know how to do that, know how to do it with your eyes wide open so that you reduce the risk and so on. Do that. If you can flip a house after 90 days of renovating it, you have the potential to make $50,000. You know, that could be equal to what you're getting paid in your job in an entire year. I mean, you need to just see the opportunities that you're already, I mean, you could bid a landscape job and it's a $10,000 job. You know, that'd be a medium sized job, you know, where you make $4,000 and doing the job. I mean, see yourself as being a candidate to be paid per project rather than by the hour. And you've, both the things you mentioned lend themselves beautifully to that. Landscaping, bid by the job. Rehabbing a house, don't go in and get paid $15 an hour to do the work. Put yourself in a position, you can, there's two ways to approach that. You can, with no money out of pocket on your own, no money at risk at all, bid the job. So you go in, look at the house rehab that needs to be done, and you bid the job at $40,000 whatever. That's one way to do it. And you know, the materials and even subbing some other things out are going to cost you half of that. So you're going to have $20,000 that you make, or you could find a house, buy the house. I mean, if you got good credit, I mean, just simply, you know, make arrangements to have an option on the house, even if you want to do the work yourself, invest the money in the rehab and whatever, and then flip the house. And if you do it in that way, you may be able to have $130,000 margin on the house. Take out again, your $20,000 in cost and you got $110,000 in profit. Now it's not as easy as what they show on these 
flip or flop shows on TV perhaps, but if, but you say you've got the knowledge to do it. So you're not somebody new, just coming in off the street saying, ah, I think I can make this work. Boy, use your knowledge, but be working on things where you're compensated by the project rather than by the hour. Now here, here's my uh, little story about Kevin, my son, who is now hosted the Ziggler podcast and doing some other cool things. When he was probably about 18 years old, he was, he was racing professionally as a bicycle racer. So that's what he did. He didn't have a, a job. But during the winter months, there's a couple months where there's really not a lot of racing going on. So, you know, December to March, there's not a lot of racing going on, even internationally. Things kind of slow down. So we were looking for things that he could do in that period of time, what he ended up doing was doing delivery for UPS. But now here's why it was creative. Now, again, he's a bicycle rider. So he's got amazing quads, you know, lean, trim, low body fat, and all that, and wanted to continue training. He had a position with UPS. We proposed this. It was really funny the way it came together. But they would take a truck out into an urban development. So out into a neighborhood, I mean, think about the place where you live. There may be a development where there's 400 houses there. They'd take a truck, so an 18-wheeler, with all the packages to go to that entire subdivision and park it. They'd unhook it and leave it there. Kevin had a mountain bike with a little trailer rigged up behind it, a little two-wheel trailer. So he'd say, okay, here's uh, Devon Street. So on this street, he'd pull all the packages to go there, put them on his little trailer, and he's off on his bicycle. Now, it was a hilly neighborhood. It was just right on the south side of Nashville here. It was a hilly neighborhood. So it was really an incredible workout for him. But it was super effective for UPS instead of having a truck running up and down, burning gas up and down all these little streets. No, here's Kevin on his bicycle. And just a creative way to approach it. I forget how, I need to ask him how he was compensated. If it was some kind of project deal, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident that it was, uh, rather than just by the hour. That would be not a great way to be compensated for that kind of thing. But just another unique way to look at something that needs to be done. And he provided a unique solution they did that. I ought to check in and see if they're still doing that because they were really intrigued with the idea and how effective it was. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Josh says, Dan, I'm 33 years old. I've been drawing cartoons and comics for as long as I can remember. It just recently became a career after I completed two full-length graphic novels in the past few years. My mission statement for my work has always been to tell stories that are as fun to read as they are to make but it's becoming something dreadful that I don't look forward to anymore. It breaks my heart to feel that way towards something I've done since my childhood. And I can't see how my continuing to create comics and stories is something that brings lasting value to other people's lives. Should I let this chapter in my life close? Or is there something I've missed that will reinvigorate my hope for this to be a fulfilling career? Thanks for your work in your show, Joshua. Golly, there's a couple things in here that I suspect are happening. One is, has it created, well, well let, me, let me back into that. I'll do this the other way around. You say that you're not sure that this is bringing lasting value to other people's lives, doing comics, you know, creating comics, telling stories, cartoons and comics. 
You know, making people laugh or making them happy is a legitimate way to add value to people's lives. You don't have to be finding a cure for cancer to be adding value to people's lives. I mean, think about, there are a lot of people out here. My good friend, Ken Davis, you know, Christian comedian. He's done that for years and years and years. Fills a stadium, fills a church, makes people laugh. I mean, what a great way to spend an evening. Now, does that have lasting value? I think it does because it lightens our load. It reminds us the joy of laughing like we were when we were little kids. Yeah, I think it has a lot of value. So I think you can make a clear case for that. I don't think you need to do something, you know, that's going to create a new chemical compound to relieve depression or something. I think you can be assured that what you're doing brings value to people's lives. What I suspect is happening is that like most creatives, you like change, challenge, variety. Even if it's a creative thing, if you're doing it, and even if it's been successful, you get bored with it after a while. I met with a young guy last week, and we we determined real quickly, he's about a two-year guy. It doesn't matter what he's doing, how successful he is, about two years into it, he's looking for the new shiny object. He's gone. If, in fact, you recognize that about yourself, then just recognize it. So there may be a new application of what you're doing rather than just creating more comics and cartoons. But I suspect that it has more to do with you wanting a new adventure than it does with lacking value in what you do in terms of how it's perceived by the people that you're serving. Just, eh, you know, have fun with that. There's not a right or wrong, good or bad in any of that, but I think it has more to do with you than it does with the value of the work, the value that you're bringing to people. Chrissy says, Dan, ever since I was a child, I knew I wanted to be an actress. I've read your book in the past, used used to get some side jobs that were way more interesting than bartending. What's your advice for somebody who's using the 48 Days plan to get a parallel career or a side job in addition to their dream? All right, now, Chrissy, I'm not sure which one you want to have as your main career, if that's going to be your acting or if you want to do your acting on the side. Um, either, either way, we can approach this either way. You know, if you are acting and you've got some things that really do require your time, you have some pretty good success in that arena and you want something on the side, then go back to that formula we've got for using 15 hours a week. Now in that, and, and the, the thing is here, you could flip this as well. You could have another regular job and invest 15 hours a week in your acting and be building it there. Either way, you want to be splitting your time in those four different areas that I talk about. So if you have 15 hours to invest in a side business, three hours reading, studying, gathering new knowledge, five hours creating the content, you know, working on your book, your course, your coaching packages, whatever, or if you're built making dolls or you're assembling products, you know, five hours, three hours, four hours, then working directly with clients or customers. Now, this is going to vary again, depending on what exactly you're doing, but it's a good formula that has worked for a lot of people. Then three hours marketing your efforts to build your brand and reputation. Those would be totally applicable in your acting on the side where you have a job that pays the bills and then you're developing yourself as an actress and you're investing 15 hours a week. That would work beautifully in doing that. All right, I got one more here and we're going to do a wrap up. One more. This is the one I alluded to right at the outset. Bob says, I'm in the process. This this is mind-blowing. This is so positive. 
so exciting and yet so terrifying. Bob says, I'm in the process of making my 2020 goals and I'm having trouble. Last year, I made a goal of doubling my income from 53,000 to 107,000. I've passed that goal at this point in the year. You're going into, you know, the end of middle of December. I've passed that goal and I've made 115,000 this year. I'm happy I achieved my goal, but it did require a lot of work, long nights and weekends. My problem is that if I set my income goal at 160 for 2020, I'm afraid I will reach it. All right, now let me recap there. So last year, he went from, well, this year, he went from 53,000 last year to 115,000 this year, having bypassed his goal of 107. So he's at 115 currently for this year. And he says he thinks that if he set his goal at 160 for 2020, he could hit it. He says, I'm afraid I'll reach it. But if I do, my family will suffer because of all the time spent working. I work as a real estate appraiser and get paid per report. Should I set my goal lower? It is an odd thing to be worried about, but it is bothering me. Thanks. Here's my advice, Bob. Never, never sacrifice health, family, personal development just to hit a financial goal. Now, I know there may be a short burst of time where you may spend 30 days. I mean, goodness, I've done that, where I'm really super focused on something I want to accomplish. So a a short burst of really focused activity. But don't do that over a long period of time where you're really going to sacrifice success in those other areas. Now, again, if you, I'd say you don't don't give your family makeup here. Let's say that you've got three kids and a stay-at-home wife. So you go and you're just crushing it out there. You can add more and more reports and now you're going to hit that 160. But whoa, gee. They've kind of forgotten who dad is at home and you're not developing the relationship with your kids. Your wife is looking around other places to get companionship. Nope. You don't want to pay that price at all. However, let's unpack this real quick. I'm just going to give you another tip here. That's all. So you're at 115. Now it sounds like already you're spending more time than you need to. A couple of things may come into view real quickly. One being to have an administrative assistant working with you. I mean, I, I understand real estate appraising. Now you come out and then there's going to be some, a mechanical process to go through, looking at square footage, the neighborhood it's in, comps, that kind of thing. Boom. You can have somebody else. That's a pretty routine process to go through. So you may pay somebody $20 an hour to go through 80% of the report, which gives you the capacity to just get out, generate the, the deals, you know, get the jobs, do the primary looking, the first look, the measurements and all that, the pictures, then bring it back and have somebody help you there. Another thing to do would be, what is it that you know about real estate appraising that would help the homeowner, help them maximize how their home is going to be appraised? Could you put together a little course where you did five five minute videos and had a couple worksheets that people could go through and sell for ninety seven dollars? And next year you get, uh, let's say that you get five hundred people that purchase that. That's not a big number. Five hundred. That's fifty thousand dollars. Use your expertise in a way that can be leveraged without just using your time. I mean, what you're describing here is just simply a, a trading of time and effort. 
for your compensation. Look for ways you could use your expertise and then leverage it where that it brings you income. I mean, we've talked about our buddy Pierce who sets out signs, real estate signs on the weekends. Well, he makes about $45,000 doing that. You know, just puts out a few signs for realtors. It's real consistent. But he also put together a course. It's called Sign Hustle. You can, I'm sure you could find it, Sign Hustle. But anyway, that added to his income as much as doing the work itself because he now has a little course to tell other people how to do that. Look for ways you can do that. I think you can uh, get, hit your big goal without having to just put in more time. No, if you're working more than 50 hours a week, you know, I, I'm one for, you know, working hard and long, and, but over 50 hours, you're going to start borrowing from the success in other areas of your life. And that's too high a price to pay. If that means you cap out at 115, boom, then just do that. Yeah. Not, not always bigger is not always better if it's causing you to lose success in other areas of your life. Well, Hey, a quick recap, and we're going to round it out here. Golly. Well, here's just, just a quick recap. We can just, we can just do it like this. Don't say God gave you something. If you obligated yourself to unreasonable debt to get it. All right. Next point we covered. If you're struggling with business growth, get a great coach. Don't try to figure it all out on your own. My goodness. I have no idea. After all these years, I have zero idea how to do a website. I have, we're, you know, we use Facebook ads to generate activity for new products, courses, and things like that. I have no idea how it works because we have people in place who do that. Well, another one, third principle here, it, you're not going to do anything extraordinary if you're a generalist. If you're a generalist, you're going to get pushed to the bottom of the barrel financially. If you're getting interviews but no job offers, ask yourself why people don't want you on their team. All right, here's another one. Here's a big one. If you're willing to be paid for results rather than your time, you can 10x your income in 2020. And the last one we hit on there, never sacrifice your health, your family, your spiritual vitality, your personal growth, just to hit a financial goal. The trade-off is too great. You'll end up resenting it and you'll lose the things that are most important in your life. Hey, remember we got that resource for you. It's a Nightgale Conant compilation of a lot of pretty cool people who share the tipping point, the little principle that really put them over the top. It is excellent. It's an excellent, excellent resource. We'll link to that in the show notes. Hey, thanks for being part of this group this growing group. Hey, join us in the Eagles, the 48 Days Eagles. I didn't mention that today. My goodness, it's just exploding with activity in there. I'm blown away by the new people coming in, the stories they're sharing, the, the things that they're developing, the encouragement and advice they're getting from other members. It's pretty outrageous to watch it. I love seeing what's happening in there. But thanks for you being part of this listening audience. Hopefully we can increase our level of engagement in some way. I'd love to meet you, hear your story, get together at some point in the traveling that we're going to be doing here. But thanks for being part of this group of people where we know without question, without exception, that we can find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, 
purposeful and profitable. You don't have to settle for less. Get excited about 2020. We're getting ready to roll into a brand new year, a brand new decade. I hope you're going to enjoy it as I will.